All right, this is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal, and I'm Jess Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a lot of news to, uh, to cover today. We're going to be going from D.C. to Syria and back. But the breaking news is that the United States House of Representatives just passed today on a vote of uh, 232 to 196 passed the roadmap to take the U.S. Congress to a process of voting on articles of impeachment against uh, the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump. So basically what had been happening prior to today is that the House was involved in a fact-finding mission, a closed-door, confidential, and at times classified fact-finding mission. They were interviewing witnesses, taking depositions, and as a result of much of that fact-finding, the House uh, has decided with the leadership of Nancy Pelosi, you know, our, our, uh, our elected representative here in San Francisco, she decided to take the vote today and on a essentially party-line vote, 232 to 196, the House voted to engage or voted to pass basically the articles or the structure or the process or the procedure, whatever you want to take it to get the House to take a vote on articles of impeachment, which now means, Jamal, that starting probably very soon, all of these closed-door hearings, all of these closed-door depositions are going to be made public. Once the articles of impeachment are voted upon, if there is a vote to impeach the President of the United States, it then goes to the U.S. Senate, where they will vote and it has to be a supermajority, 67 votes. It's a supermajority, and it's the Senate that can decide whether or not to convict and remove the president. So today, Jamal, was a very momentous day. This is only the third time in the history of the republic that the Congress has decided to move forward with an impeachment process. I mean, I guess Donald Trump is in rarefied uh, territory with Richard Nixon and... Uh, Bill Clinton now. This is really a historic day in many ways. That's right. Uh, the vote again was uh, 232 to 196 to approve a resolution that sets out uh, the rules for an, an impeachment process uh, just for which there are few precedents. And you, you're right. And which uh, basically this is the it's only the third time in modern history that the House had taken a vote on an impeachment inquiry into a sitting uh, president. Right. Two Democrats broke with their party to vote against the measure. So which, it wasn't. Which, do you know which two? Uh, two, two? Two Democrats, I think. Uh, one from Massachusetts. One from Massachusetts. We'll get the names, but okay. uh, we're, we're trying to look at the different list who voted against it. Of course, it was a. Uh, I would definitely say this is a divided uh, house because uh, the Republicans, uh, you know, were against it. Except so for most, Justin Amash. Yeah. Well, is he considered a Republican no, now? No, he's an independent. He's an independent. He, he basically is no longer a, a Republican. So definitely it's a bitterly divided House of Representatives that voted uh, to endorse the Democratic-led impeachment inquiry. Two didn't vote. It's a historic action. And so now we're 
I guess, one step closer to the whole process. I mean, this is an important... Uh, yeah, it's an important move, Jamal. Move. I, I think it's kind of interesting from a political standpoint, only because one of the criticisms of the Democratic-led, uh, you know, kind of fact-finding part, the part that Adam Schiff has been engaged with in the Intelligence Committee because it's been done confidentially in a secure facility, classified information, that the Republicans have been shouting at the top of their lungs, you know, you're doing it in secret, make it public, make it, and they've been attacking the process. Well, now, because we were saying last week, be careful what you wish for. Well, now all of these things that have been very damning against President Trump, all these State Department officials, all these NSA officials there who have been testifying in closed doors, they're going to come out and all of this really what appears to be very damning testimony is going to come out in the public, in the light. And I'm not sure that the Republicans will be able to accuse the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi of hiding all of the evidence. The evidence will definitely come out. Well, they're accusing her of many things. <laughs> uh, but uh, just a quick correction or getting to the facts. The two Democrats who basically voted against the impeachment yeah. were representatives Colin Peterson of Minnesota. Oh, Minnesota, okay. And Jeff Van Drew of New Jersey. Oh, New Jersey, okay. They those voted were, against the measure. But those were swing districts. So while yeah. the representative Justin Amash, who used to be a Republican of Michigan, and he is now the House's lone independent who he supported the measure. Otherwise, straight party line vote. It's straight party, uh, yeah, exactly. And so it's, uh, there are two who basically... But I don't, I don't think, Jamal, just to kind of do um, a, little bit of a, a, a little bit of a deep dive, I, I don't really, um, I don't think it's going to be such a big deal that the vote was party line today. Because really the Republicans have nothing to lose today. Basically what they voted on today was a roadmap for how to conduct the formal impeachment hearings. So it's basically a vote about, you know, who can do the wit, who can, how much time you're going to spend on witnesses, who can do subpoenas, mm -hmm. how to get information, and then, you know, how to get to the vote. The, the real test, the mm -hmm. real, when the, when the rubber hits the road, so to speak, is going to be in a month or so when every single Republican, when it comes out, in terms of all the information uh, about what Donald Trump did in this phone call with President Zelensky of Ukraine, they're going to have to stand up, raise their hand and vote, you know, yay or nay, on whether or not they think the uh, President of the United States committed an impeachable defense, a high crime and a misdemeanor. This vote, I think, Jamal, is a no-brainer uh, along party lines, really. I don't think it's a big deal. But it'll be curious to see what happens once all the information comes in to take a vote on whether or not to impeach uh, the president of the United States. Well, I mean, here is the big question because – and these are the, uh, the Republican counter-narrative. And now they are going on the offensive – attacking Nancy Pelosi because they're saying oh, she's easy she was uh, she was against it she didn't want to go through the impeachments and why did she do this 180 going from several months almost 
a year and a half or two years saying no, no, no to impeachment, and now she's putting it front and center. And so that's the, the major kind of, uh, I would say, narrative that they're having with. And so the question is whether uh, that just in the past few days that this impeachment drive or impeachment case was bolstered by the release of an anonymous whistleblower complaint, that's one accusing President Trump of a scheme to shake down Ukraine for assistance and uh, a reconstructed a transcript that we've been reading parts of, uh, right. of a Ju July phone call between Mr. Trump and President uh, Zelensky of the Ukraine. And then you have the most recent, basically, basically uh, testimony coming from a uh, military yeah, that's, person. Yeah, by the way, that's, uh, we'll get into that in a little while. That, by the way, that's Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, who was uh, actually born in the Ukraine, immigrated to the United States at age three, went to the West Point Academy, graduated from the West Point Academy, did at least two or three tours of active military combat duty in Iraq, and uh, came back and has now been working with the NSA, the National Security Agency, detailed at the White House. We'll, we'll get into his thing. Well, uh, I think it's very important because oh, yeah. you could see, because when they say, yeah, like for 24, for whatever, 18 months, she didn't want to go through the impeachment, but then we have new information, new information, yeah, yeah. major, big time information. You have the anonymous uh, whistleblower, then you have a military, high ranking military person saying, hey, what I was listening to did not add up. And he made several, tried to make several complaints about it. Right. And then, about, yeah. and then now this is very important, I think, and this is something that we have to kind of keep an eye on, is that um, you have Bolton, John Bolton, who probably we'll the House will need to, well, he's not going to testify without a subpoena. He'll get a subpoena. So he'll get a subpoena. And what information is he going to provide? Because that's going to be also, I think, a key moment, because not only that John Bolton was the national security advisor to the president, but he's also highly regarded amongst Republicans, and he wants to keep his Republican credentials. So no. he has to balance this. And without kind of getting the ire of the Republican Party, no, but at the same point. time, he cannot go on the stand, raise his hand, and say and and provide them with lies. He has to say the truth. The truth. I, I think uh, the Bolton uh, testimony under under oath uh, through a subpoena will be very damning, and it's ironic. John Bolton, one of the biggest hawks, one of the biggest conservatives. You know, let's not forget, Jamal, that John Bolton was deeply involved in bringing the United States to the, uh, it, you know, the disaster that w resulted in the killing of hundreds of thousands of Iraqis, uh, the killing of thousands of U.S. servicemen in Iraq and Afghanistan. So it was really John Bolton who is at the helm of the Iraq-Afghan wars. It was really John Bolton who is still pushing to destroy and decimate uh, Iran. The guy has never found a war that he didn't love. 
And we have to remember that his credentials are extreme. He's at the extreme end of the conservative uh, movement. And that's why, frankly, despite all of the horrific things that he's been part of, his testimony, if he gives it, will be a powerful uh, and in many ways damning uh, testimony to the President of the United States. I, I just want to remind you something, John. Well, do you think his testimony is going to be more powerful than the army officer who listened to Trump's Ukraine call yes. and voiced his concerns? I yes. Mean, he's, he's someone who actually was on the call and who actually uh, speaks and understands Ukrainian. Right. I think here's the thing. Uh, they're already trying, and it's, I mean, I don't know this guy, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. I mean, w whatever. But what I can tell you, he's a graduate of, of the West Point Academy, served the country, whatever you think about war, not going to war. He voluntarily, you know, he, he opted to go to Iraq and actually ha was highly decorated for serving in the war and, and all of the things that he did. This is not a guy you know, who who needs to be taken lightly. However, they have been calling him, and this is kind of, we should get into this a little bit, they've called him a never-Trumper, they've called him a spy, they've called him a whistleblower, so they've been attacking his credibility, and that will carry some weight. Well, I think, I, I, I Hold think on, I just don't see how they criticize Bolton. I don't see, what are they going to say about John Bolton? They can't criticize him. They was can't, he on the call? He wasn't on the call. He wasn't on the call, so he can't provide basically first-hand information about the call. But they can That's still slam That's why I'm, I'm actually seeing Vindman' testimony to be more damaging Maybe. than Bolton. Bolton can talk in general about the Trump's foreign policy towards Ukraine, other issues, because they had their differences going on for many months, uh, you know, with, the Trump, with Trump and the Trump administration, which led basically to, he said he wanted to resign be, before he got fired. We don't know, like, right. which came first, right? Right. Nevertheless, again, I would say that Vindman's officer, uh, Vindman's testimony, Lieutenant Colonel, right? Is that's his Lieutenant Colonel? His rank, Army, Lieutenant Colonel. And his testimony is going to be way, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman is going to be way more damaging for several reasons. One reason is that he has uh, confirmed that the transcript, the so-called transcript, which was provided by the Trump administration, had many omissions. So, you know, when, because Trump keeps saying, well, I had nothing to hide. I provided the transcript. No, so he said exact transcript. The, word, he know, said word for word, comma by comma. And, and, exactly. and, and, and Vindman said, and which, by the way, this was confirmed by uh, Representative Scott Perry, who is a rep Republican, he told NPR we annotated those on our copies of the call, meaning that many of the conversation, many elements of the conversations were removed because according to Vindman's testimony, the issue of the Ukraine, the quid pro quo, the Trump kept coming back talking about you must provide us with this information in order for you to receive the financial aid. Military aid. Military aid, yeah. well, also financial aid. So he kept going back, not once, not twice, not three times. Many times. Many times, while Trump is trying to say, well, 
you know, we were t- discussing about uh, talking about issues around corruption. And I just brought this example. Like once in passing, there was no quid pro quo. And then Vindman said, no, no, no. That's not how I heard it. I've heard the president repeatedly insisting on bringing the quid pro quo example. And that's why he went to his uh, superiors to say, there's something wrong here. And initially they tried to dismiss him, dismiss it. Well, they did dismiss dis- it. Dismiss it. Because he and tried, to, also he, he tried to bring it on, on any future. Right. Because he tried, he he wanted to make two specific edits. Now, some of his edits, because he was given the opportunity to edit the transcript, Jamal, some of some of the edits were accepted, but two in particular were not. The one that you mentioned was definitely not included with the specificity of the conditional "do me a favor, do me a solid," so that we can release this. military and financial aid. But the other thing that was missing, apparently President Zelensky brought up Burisma, which is the energy company uh, that Hunter Biden was on the board of and receiving, uh, the being you know, getting paid for. So the obviousness that the president of the Ukraine knew, Jamal, that this was a quid pro quo he knew what he needed to investigate. Trump said no pressure. He didn't know. But even the president of Ukraine, according to Lieutenant Colonel Vidman, even the president of Ukraine knew, hey, if I'm going to get these weapon systems, if I'm going to get this money, I have to investigate the Bidens. So, so this is getting more serious, Just So as of Wednesday, Senator Minority Leader Chuck Schumer from New York, Democrat from New York, wrote to Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy to request a briefing on how Vindman is being protected after conservative media, Fox News, etc., attacked him. And the president himself, Trump, and his attorney, Rudy Giuliani, attacked him publicly over his damaging testimony. So Schumer warned that, and I'm quoting from Schumer here, this vitriol may result in professional reprisals and threats to his personal safety and that of his family, adding it is incumbent on the army to ensure that he's afforded the same protections as whistleblowers and protected from reprisal from testifying before Congress. I think this is very serious. You have a lieutenant colonel working in the White House. Now, basically, we're asking to protect him and his family because he just raised the question of impropriety. Right. And now you have to fear for the life oh, of absolutely. a high-ranking officer. Well, of course, Jamal. In the army. I mean, this is, of I mean, it, it's really worse. I mean, I mean, you think about it. This is not a joke. It's not a joke. The, the Trump uh, and his allies and his minions, Jamal, have threatened the whistleblower the whistleblower, even though his identity, his or her identity has been uh, protected, has been threatened. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman has been threatened. A lot of people in the State Department. I mean, many people, I mean, when you talk about the, uh, the media, he, he, like there are references and allegations that he is a spy. Unbelievable. Or he has dual loyalty because he was born in the Ukraine. Well, there's a nuts, and, but and there's then a, the other thing is now the media is talking about is that 
you know, he's Jewish, he's a Jewish American, and one of the main reasons he came to this country with his family, leaving oppression in the Ukraine under the USSR, that his family came here and settled in the United States, and then you talked about his credentials. So that raises this whole question of double loyalty well, or dual loyalty. And anti-Semitism. And anti-Semitism, yeah. it, is, it, is, it is all laced with anti-Semitism, in my opinion. No, I agree. For him to, be for, to call Vindman a spy, regardless of what you believe about his politics. And then they're saying, oh, he spoke Ukrainian. Like, how many immigrants or how many people speak he's two, three languages? But he's from Ukraine. So if you spoke Spanish, then you are a traitor. Right. If he spoke another language, then you are a traitor, according to those people who well, are basically. accusing him, that you're not a real uh, patriot in this country, right? right. That's, that's the accusation. So, so I think... That's why I keep going back, and I know there is still the other whistleblower who we don't have I don't, his but I don't real think it identity I don't his th- or her. His, I, I, guess. I don't think it matters, Jamal, because with the initial whistleblower, the initial whistleblower was attacked for having only hearsay evidence. Because if you look at the whistleblower complaint when it first came out, it said, I got this knowledge secondhand. I got this knowledge from this person. I got this knowledge from another person. So it's secondhand. The whistleblower complaint was attacked for getting, for not having direct knowledge. Vindman, much more compelling. As you said, he's on the call. He's a military person. But I'm still going to tell you, from from a legal perspective, Jamal, you're right. The testimony of Lieutenant Colonel Vindman represents substantial legal evidence. Politically, however, I do think Bolton's testimony, if he does testify, will be much more damning and could be one of those tipping points to get a certain number of Republicans to mm-hmm. say, I've, you know, we're on this sinking ship. You know, if Bolton is this critical of the foreign policy of Donald J. Trump. We need to do something. So I think there's a difference between the legal weight of the evidence versus the political weight. I think Bolton's is stronger politically. Well, and then one more thing, of course, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham. And here is someone who I, I call a hypocrite. Lapdog. The true meaning of, of hypocrisy. You have videos of him. When uh, Clinton. Clinton was impeached, right. saying, you know, giving all these long-winded lectures about why Congress should go on with impeachment, blah, blah, blah. And then he's just to the bitter end, basically right. defending the president. And now after the Republicans have admitted that these transcripts, were altered, basically edited. He's saying today, uh, or actually yesterday, he said that uh, that while he did not doubt that the Vin- that Vindman is doing what he thinks is right, because they're scared to go against a military personnel, uh, his addendums to Trump's call with Zelensky did not meaningfully alter the discussion. I have read the transcript, and if you add his corrections in, it doesn't change anything for me. That's Graham. Well, if if what Lindsey Senator Graham is saying is correct, then that that really makes the transcript. So, so it makes no difference if I alter a transcript. There is no, but the, I'm but not, the, and I'm falsifying evidence or no, altering it's, evidence. It's okay, but by it's him. it's by omission. But what what Graham is saying is what uh, 
uh, what Vindman did, what the transcript just omits some of the things that Vindman wanted to add. And its omission didn't change. But then what Lindsey Graham is saying, Jamal, is that the, the kind of um, uh, illegality, if you will, the kind of threat to national security of what Donald Trump did by shaking down another country, the president of another country, holding up vital military and economic aid in order to get that country and that president to dig dirt up on a political opponent, basically Graham is saying, yeah, that in fact did happen. So this is what's going to happen to the Republicans, Jamal. They're going to have to stand up and declare whether or not they believe it's okay for a U.S. president to shake down the leader of another country and use the state, the power of the state, the the purse of the state, money, economic and military aid to shake down another country. If the Republicans do not believe that's an impeachable defense, that's that's what they're going to have to vote on. They believe that Clinton should be impeached for an extramarital affair. That's a grave security risk, according to the Republicans, when Clinton was impeached. We will see now if shaking down <laughs> and, and, you know, basically using the power of the purse in the state to get political dirt on an opponent by the U.S. president is an impeachable defense. We're going to leave it there, and I'm sure we're going to talk about no, this, of course. this subject next week. And the uh, week after. And the week after. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. This is 89.5 FM. So the next big story that happened actually during the week is the death of uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the ISIS leader. And then, uh, of course, uh, today there was a... Uh, an announcement of its new of his successor in a new audio release, just right. And this is uh, ISIS in a new uh, audio recording identified the new leader as Abu Ibrahim Al Hashimi in the audio released this morning on Thursday by the ISIS central media arm Al Furqan Foundation. That's uh, what they use usually to make announcements. The speaker of the audio also confirmed the death of Abu Hassan al-Muhajir, a close aide of al-Baghdadi and a spokesman for the group. So, we have, I think... We I have think, a new leader I think, no, I think for, for, let's, let's just make it very clear. I don't think you'll find more people happier than Syrians and... Iraqis. Other, and, and, uh, Arabs and Muslims in the Middle East to see the end of al-Baghdadi because he is responsible for the death of thousands of Syrians and Iraqis and others. So that's yeah. something, this, this thing, I don't think you'll find anyone who is against it. And I would say, yes, this is a positive or a feather in the cap of Donald Trump to be able, and I know, okay, we'll talk about the exaggerated aspect of it. Nevertheless, at the end of the day, he can say, during my presidency, we got, we've, I've got the leader of ISIS, al-Baghdadi. He's been on the number, he's, he's been number one on the most wanted list for many years. There was a $20 million bounty. $25 just, million. Uh, 25, just like Osama bin Laden. And under my administration, under my watch, we got him. You, you disagree with my yeah, statement? Yeah, because you're missing, there's a lot of information you're missing. The guy that ratted out Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi was a Kurd 
working with the same Kurdish military that the United States turned its back on. So it was interesting because of the timing of this. When the United States threw the Kurds under the bus, that was during a very critical time where the person that had infiltrated the inner circle of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi was a Kurd, was able to get this information, was getting the information and getting it out at a time when the Kurds were being, you know, we, we put it in quotes, thrown under the bus. I, gi I give you this. At the end of the day, you're right. I mean, here we were withdrawing, throwing the Kurds under the bus, and then a new information basically came. The timing whether it's luck or coincidence or what but, have you. Know, all I'm saying it's the at Kurds the, that at, had I this know, information. But at the end of the day, al-Baghdadi was terminated under the Trump administration. Okay, under his fair enough. So, so, okay, that's fine. And I said no one is more happier than, Arab. than Arabs and people who live in the region because Absolutely. this guy has been terrorizing. He's a monster. A monster, right? So, so people are happy. However... We see Trump, you know, of course, saying that this is more important than the death of bin, bin Laden. And remember, bin Laden is responsible for the death of 2,000 Americans or more. 3,000. 3,000 yeah, Americans yeah. at the World Trade Center and others, 9-11. He is one of the reasons, even though unjustifiably, that we went into war against Iraq and thousands of people died because of this and the bombing of Afghanistan. So to, for him to say, you know, I mean, everything is like, I'm number one, I'm number one. It's like, even with this, instead of saying, we've done this, this is a great job to, uh, I guess, Delta Force and the uh, our armed forces, he said, it has to be better. I'm always like, it's like, like he's promoting a Trump Tower or something like this, or the apprentice, I'm number one. And then he makes up, I don't want to say the word, right? He makes up stuff. And says, oh, they were chasing him in this tunnel, and he was crying and whimpering, and I don't know what. And then there was General Frank McKenzie, head of the U.S. Central Command, who, who released declassified images and video from the raid that resulted in al-Baghdadi's death. Uh, U.S. Central Command CENTCOM shared also the video on Twitter, and we've seen it on CNN, other other uh, media outlets, uh, giving the the details about the operation. And when he was asked about the whimpering and what, how were the last uh, minutes or moments of Al Baghdadi, he says, "I know nothing about this." Yeah, the reason he knows nothing is because the reality of what happened most likely completely contradicts what Donald Trump said. Can we just let uh, the reality in for a minute, Jamal? Uh, Abu Bakr uh, al-Baghdadi had a uh, suicide vest strapped around him. Right. He was not shot and killed. He blew himself up. And, the and light killing his, two of his children, and by the way. And killed two of his children. I mean, it's a horrible, horrific act. The concept of somehow somebody killing him, killing themselves that way and taking, I mean, it's a horrific thing, especially to think that he took his two children. It's horrific. Having said that, this is not a guy that would be whimpering at that time. This, this, is, a, this is a solitary act of self-destruction, and the picture that uh, was painted cannot be independently confirmed by anybody. All we know is he got ratted out, uh, they stormed the compound, 
And in the last few moments, we knew that he had a suicide vest and decided to pull it. And a huge explosion killed him, two children, and injured and killed other people. That's what we know. Yeah, but my issue but is But can like, I be – I'm sorry, I just mean, one other thing. Think, can the, I mean, I, I hear this word a lot, and then we want to – like, is Donald Trump a compulsive liar? He cannot tell – a single thing without peppering it with lies or sprinkling something to add to it. No, but I think there's I mean, another. Why, why, why do you have to say make up stuff right, and but, say this is what was heard and when it wasn't? But I, but I think there's something. We'll get to that in a minute. But I, I worry, and I, I'm curious because you watch and monitor the Arab world media very closely, Jamal. But wouldn't that depiction of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi as whimpering and cowering and all of that, wouldn't that, could that not be used as a recruitment tool to recruit and enlist more supporters of ISIS? I mean, that's one thing that I would, I would be totally, why would you do that? Why would you throw uh, gasoline on a fire that's still burning? I mean, the other thing with uh, ISIS in Syria We've left Syria except for protect, protecting the oil fields. But they estimate that there's still tens of thousands of active ISIS fighters and recruits ready to go. So um, just like the orange uh, jumpsuits from Guantanamo were used to recruit more, more al-Qaeda uh, followers, I, what do you think? So I'm asking, do you think that could be used to recruit more ISIS uh, I, I, I don't know about about this. I mean, ISIS uh, basically. I mean, people who join ISIS, they they have uh, and and who came back or they were arrested. They gave different stories uh, about their motivation. I mean, it could be one one of their uh, one of the cries for motivation, but others they some of them are young, desperate, unemployed young people living in Europe. Others were uh, misled by their imams and uh, by read or, or by reading things on the internet. So I can't go into what uh, the different reasons that people have joined ISIS because also others have left ISIS right. after they realize what it's all about and the promises they they were well, given. What, what is the Arab uh, Arab world media talking about when it comes to Abu Bakr? al-Baghdadi's uh, demise? What, well, I mean, in like I said, in general, you're not going to find people who are uh, happier uh, to see him dead than Arabs living in Syria, Syrians, definitely Kurds, other communities, Yazidi communities, every, uh, basically every uh, community that suffered under ISIS from Iraq all the way because, you know, he wants to establish the Islamic State of the Levant, basically stretching from Iraq all the way into Bilad al-Sham, into Syria. So I, I don't think you'll find anyone who is uh, not, uh, uh, you know. Pleased about pleased it. Pleased about it. Yeah. And so, so, I mean, in, 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 a, in a way, also, people are uh, not happy because they, they are thinking that, A, they're being fed lies that how many times did uh, the president of the United States and other countries said that ISIS is finished. We have the finished ISIS, right? ISIS is not finished. And Jamal. it's not. And it's still recruiting people, still killing people, still 
controlling areas. I have breaking news for for Donald Trump's statement on that. ISIS is not defeated. And There's 10,000 ISIS fighters that were captured in Syria that don't have the protection because the U.S. military left. And, and this has nothing to do about whether or not they should or shouldn't leave. What I'm trying to tell you is that there are tens of thousands of ISIS fighters still mobilized and active in Syria and parts of Iraq. To, so to have the audacity to say that you've defeated ISIS is a joke. Two, killing Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, you know, okay, great news, congratulations, that's all well and good. That doesn't change the operational nature of the way ISIS engages in their terrorism. It doesn't because they're decentralized. So uh, you, you, you can dance on the grave of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. That's fine and well and good. But the reality of ISIS, Jamal, it's not dead. So I, I still think, you know, there's, there's unfortunately and tragically still a lot to worry about when it comes to ISIS. So I want to switch gears here and talk a little bit about uh, a very troubling Incident. Which one? There's so many, Jamal. In, in Palestine, just, and this has been in the news in the past uh, 24 hours. Is this the and, Israeli soldier? Yes. And so this is something, the story of a 14-year-old Palestinian boy, Uthman Hellas from Gaza, who last July... July, I think, yeah, July of 2018, when part of these demonstrations in, in Gaza. The Juma demonstrations, And yeah. he was shot dead by, a, by an Israeli uh, sniper bullet. Right. And at the time, there were several cameras that, at least one or two that I know of, different angles, that documented his killing that's right. In broad daylight. That's right. 14-year-old boy, unarmed, posing no threat of whatsoever to the Israelis, several hundred yards away from them, unarmed, I have to repeat that, 14-year-old minor, unprovoked, he just shot dead. That was caught on camera, of course. Shot Israel, in the head. He was shot in the head. Yeah, he was shot. I think the bullet went through the back of his head to the front. Very gruesome. Yeah. And then you see the image of him getting shot, and then you see him getting carried away and evacuated, but by the time it, he was already dead. So yesterday, the an Israeli military court sentenced the soldier because... They were able to identify who shot him. So yesterday, the Israeli military corps, which is also doesn't happen too often, the Israeli military to even admit right. that they've made a mistake. Right. It's a terrible mistake that he murdered someone. So yesterday, the Israeli military corps sentenced the soldier to one month, and I repeat, for murder. Sentenced the soldier to one month of the uh, military's equivalent of community service over the killing of this Palestinian teen 
after he opened fire without authorization. So it wasn't even given the permission. It wasn't like there was an order to shoot any of those demonstrators. Some of them were waving flags. Some of them were dancing dabka. Some of them were shouting. They were far away. They posed no threat. They carried no weapons. So yesterday, the court said, we're giving you one month. And I think he got also demo uh, uh, demoted. And, and the order said uh, for acting without authorization in a manner endangering to life and well-being. That's full stop. That's the, what the statement from the military court. What a joke. What a joke. So, Uthman Rami Hellas, that's his name, a teenager, was shot during the protests by Palestinians near the Israeli fence east of the Gaza Strip, July 13th, 2018. And the video was obtained by uh, and shared by the Defense for Children Rights Organization, showed him standing uh, in the demonstration. Near him were several women and children. Some of them were holding the Palestinian flags, a flag, and then they show him when he got shot and his torso, he, he was shot first in the torso and then falling down, right? It's terrible. So... Uh, the, that prompted basically the Israeli military. Otherwise, without that video, they would have just made up some story that he was doing something, right? So they prompted the Israeli army to start a probe that found the soldier fired at uh, a Palestinian rioter. That's what they describe him, who, uh, you know, and that uh, uh, he acted, the sniper had opened fire not in accordance with the rules of engagement, as if there were rules of engagement, because they've How shot, many Palestinians they've shot were killed? Israeli snipers, they've shot, they've shot ambulance, uh, medical, uh, medical personnel, medical EMT, personnel. They shot nurses. At, they've shot at uh, uh, journalists wearing right on their chest and on their helmets, media or press or something like this. Women, children. You know, so yeah. now they said that they have, uh, you know, that he uh, basically the soldier who was identified in the Israeli media as a sniper had opened the fire not in accordance with the rules of engagement and not in accordance with the instructions he had received. So this is, by the way, the first time an Israeli soldier has been convicted over the killing of a Palestinian in, uh, involved in the weekly Gaza demonstrations, according to the Israeli human rights organization, B'Tselem. This is what uh, they so, said. So, I guess that's Israeli justice, Jamal. A soldier assassinates and murders a child, gets caught, a year plus later uh, gets convicted, and what is the charge for murdering, killing, assassinating a Palestinian child. It's uh, 30 days of community service. So this gives you a little bit of a sense for our listeners of the sense of Israeli justice when it comes to the hypocrisy, since we're using the word hypocrisy, and the asymmetry of justice, and the asymmetry of human rights, and the asymmetry of you know, the power dynamics in Palestine, 
that Israelis kill with impunity, the Israeli military kills with impunity, and only because they were caught. This happened before with that uh, with that child in uh, Jerusalem who was burned to death, I think. Or, or there was another shooting in Jerusalem that had videotape, and it was the same thing. The Israelis do this all the time. Well, the they have they have one whom they've made the the basically extrajudicial assassination of a wounded. Palestinian exactly. on the ground when a soldier in Hebron basically killed him after he was injured, and then they've made him into a hero. Right. So they said he he you know he's a hero and he's celebrated and whatever. Were it Different. not, but were it not for the video, this would have never yeah. happened, Jamal. So as of uh, today, uh, 311 Palestinians have been killed by uh, Israeli fire in Gaza since uh, protests were launched along the areas east of uh, the blockaded Gaza Strip, basically, um, which is now Israel kind of has a de facto uh, border between Gaza and and Israel. And uh, since basically March of 2018, imagine, 311 Palestinians were killed. And we know on this show we've talked about several of them, including the death of a medic, a, a, a woman medic at right. the time who tried to save, you know, injured Palestinians. No, that's and right. she was targeted. We talked about this, the several uh, uh, journalists. journalists who got shot. Some were killed. Others were injured. Also, part of this whole thing, we're not even talking about the wounded. 311 killed. were killed. How many wounded? I don't have the numbers. But if you can, if you can imagine, if you have 311 who were killed, multiply this by three, the number will hit a thousand. That's ex that's exactly right. But Jamal, speaking of uh, Palestine, do you have any updates on the Benny Gantz Benny Gantz uh, attempt to form a coalition government? Because we we reported that uh, a few weeks ago that. Benjamin Netanyahu failed in his attempt to form a unity government. Benny Gantz and Avigdor Lieberman, the you know the the far right ethnic cleansing lover, uh, defense former defense minister and cabinet minister, were trying to form a unity government. Any breaking news or up to date news on whether or not they've been able to form a unity government? Well, we know now for now Benjamin Netanyahu can't form a government, right? Yes. So this is uh, this uh, was the news as of uh, last week, and therefore the uh, president uh, of Israel uh, tasked now the leader of the blue and white, basically party, to form a government right so the so so uh, so uh, uh, Gantz has a month just like Benjamin Netanyahu any updates on that do we know I mean I know that he has a month to do it because as it turns out if he can't form a unity government that means the Israelis go to the polls again and will have to have another fake uh, uh, I call it fake because really the difference between Benny Gantz and, and Benjamin Netanyahu so small, uh, how do you call it an election when the differences between the two parties are so small? Be that as it may, if if he can't form a, a government, they'll have to have another election. That'll be the third. Well, I mean, these are some of the statements coming from both uh, the, uh, well, the Likud, of course, is uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, and then the blue and white is Gantz. 
And now they're talking about, and, and I know from the Likud uh, part or, or Netanyahu, because still Netanyahu is in the driver's seat, they like to see a coalition government, because, and which, which, which means that Benjamin Netanyahu will remain as prime minister for two more years, and then Gantz will come, uh, become uh, prime minister for two more, two more years, uh, in the remaining two years, which we've seen a similar situation between Yitzhak Shamir and um, Paris, right. Shimon Paris, that they had a, they alternated uh, their leadership. Because Netanyahu basically has admitted defeat in a way like, I can't, I can't form a government. And he's not going to be able to form a government without the help of Avigdor Lieberman, who said many times, no way I'll partner with Netanyahu. They're now like bitter enemies before they were buddies. Now they're bitter enemies, so he's not going to partner with him. So the other option that they have, if Gantz cannot form his own government, which, by the way, I haven't heard anything saying that he's on his way or he were able to flip one of the uh, members of, of Netanyahu's coalition. So it looks like we're heading that way where either they negotiate amongst themselves or another election, a third round of elections Unbelievable. will happen. Jamal, we only have a few minutes left, and uh, we want to let our listeners know that, you know, K if you love KPOO and you love Arab Tut, which you do, you need to uh, reach deep into your pocket. In the last minute, we want to let our listeners know that we're part of the annual KPOO fun, fall fundraiser, and we're asking that all of the people who love KPOO, who love Arab Talk, whether or not you listen you know, on the radio, streaming, or from our website, you need to put down a little support. KPOO is 100% listener-supported radio, and we need the help of every listener, no matter what way you listen to us, Jamal. If you love Arab Talk, you help gotta KPO. you gotta help us out. You can you can. Um, we need a lot of money. We need seventy five thousand dollars to keep the station going, and you know, compared to the big corporate media, that's not a lot of money. But for for a listener uh, supported radio station like KPOO, that's our lifeline. So go to the KPOO website, kpoo.com, make an online donation, $1, $10, $100 or more, or you could send a check here to KPOO at KPOO PO Box 156650. I'll say it again, PO Box 156650, San Francisco, California, 94115. Your, your uh, donation, by the way, Jamal, is tax deductible. And you should make the donation to KPOO. That's right. And on this note, we will see you next week. We will see you next week.